Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode is sponsored by Papier. Papier offers a unique collection of customizable stationery created in collaboration with artists, tastemakers, and brands using sustainably sourced FSC certified papers. Whether you're perking yourself up with a new planner or looking for a set of personalized note cards, Papier will have the perfect design for you. I recently invested in one of their wellness journals, which I've personalized to say my name on the front with the word reflections. And I fill it in each day and I found it a really helpful way to set my intentions for the day and also note down any reflections about my sleep and my meditation practice and my musings on the kind of headspace that I want to occupy that day. I found this ritual to be really beneficial for my mental health and productivity. And I'm delighted to say that all the small things listeners can get 15% off their first order with the code Venetia. Just enter it at checkout on papier.com. Thanks very much to Papier. Hello, welcome back to All the Small Things. Venetia here. It is great to have you with me. This week, I am so thrilled to be joined by the marvelous Megan Jane Crabb. Megan is also known as her social media handle, Body Posy Panda, and she is an eating disorder recovery advocate, unapologetic feminist, and body positivity campaigner. Her number one best-selling debut book, Body Positive Power, has taught tens of thousands of people, including me, how to stop dieting and make peace with their bodies for good. Megan is just one of my favorite people to follow on social media. Think colorful rainbows, enviable dance moves, and a healthy dose of outfit repeating. I know you're going to fall for her in the same way that I did, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. It is always just such a pleasure to chat to Megan. She is so wise and wonderful and I always learn a lot from her. We talk a lot about diet culture and we talk about eating disorder recovery. So there is a trigger warning there in terms of content. And there's also some strong language. So if you have any young people with you, just bear that in mind. Right, let us crack on. Here is the exceptional Megan Jane Crabb on All the Small Things. Megan Crabb, hello. Welcome to All the Small Things. Thank you so much for being here with all of your glorious mermaid unicorn hair. I love it. Oh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Also, can I just ask, is this named after the Blink-182 song? You were the first guest to raise this. Um, and as much as I want to go into a story pretending that I am a huge Blink-182 fan, I'm afraid I'm not. Um, I just, I do like that song though, actually. This surprises me because I would have actually had you pegged as like a former emo kid. <laughs> You're very emotionally intelligent. It's not the pale skin and dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> not to stereotype, you know? Were you an emo kid? Oh, I was the emo scene queen. Mm-hmm. Like fake studded lips and like checkerboard belts, wristbands, all of it. Spiky hair. Mm-hmm. Was Avril Lavigne not cool enough for you or were you a fan of Avril Lavigne? <sighs> Right. Avril Lavigne was my gateway drug into like harder um, 
well pop punk and then into like metal and like proper emo stuff because she came she was on the scene when I was like 10 so she like gave me that little entryway into like angsty teen pop punk and then it just was just yeah took on a life of its own I was obsessed with her song Skater Boy like me and my school friends the amount of dances we did to that song it was just it was just the jam if we ever in the same space where there's like a karaoke booth nearby you and me are doing Avril Lavigne and that's that's settled done I'm so up for that I'm so <laughs> up for that I would love to hear a little bit about how how you start your days do you have a morning routine is there, is there anything that you'd like to do when you wake up or do you just take it all as it comes so over the course of this year I have become more and more intolerable to anything anyone any noise outside of me in the mornings so essentially I wake up I just want to be left the fuck alone like immediately Um, I just want to exist in a little bubble I want to make my coffee read my book and have no one acknowledge my existence so you know I try to do that within the realms of having a roommate and not being a bitch so I yeah I have my little corner of the room that I sit in by myself with my coffee and um try not to be too spiky when things things are interrupting my bubble and that's generally the routine. I absolutely love that you start your day with your book. That's such a peaceful entrance to a day. You know what? I had a thought a couple of years ago that was just I want to be the type of person who does that. I want to be a type of person who reads a book in the morning and I just did it. And I was like, yeah, this this feels good. This is it. This is the life. I love that. I occasionally read on weekends when I first wake up and I do find it like a very soothing practice and also a very good way to quickly get through a book. Yeah, chores are the other thing for me. Sometimes I trick myself into just immediately doing chores as soon as I wake up before you have a chance to think about it and talk yourself out of it. So you're you're hoovering right right away. Roll out of bed, load the washing machine, do the dishes. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Um, And I'm also quite interested to know if you structure your time and your work. How do you make sure that you achieve everything that you want to achieve in the days and weeks? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, up until recent point just was so messy with this and I had no structure and no routine. And every time I saw someone on the internet being like, this is how I start my day at 6am and then I do this and this. And I was like, piss off, you're so annoying. (laughs) And um, I've tried, I've tried a little bit to take routine more seriously at the moment, just because, you know, that's like how, how we cling on to reality in a pandemic. So I, there are things I make sure I do. i go for a walk every day. I do my emails at a certain point. But I think it's with our kind of career paths, there's always so much that you can do. It's not like, you know, you go into the office and this is what you do for the day and then you're done. Like there's a never ending list of possible things we could do with our time. And so there is a bit of freedom I find to go day by day. What do you feel inspired to do? Is this a day that you want to be creative? Is this a day that you want to do admin or, or write? And you kind of get to pick and choose. So I try to keep to a certain amount of time every day that I am doing something, but I don't necessarily like nail it down. Do you know what I mean? Do you Mm. do that? I think I like to have a couple of days a week where I'm quite structured and I have like a checklist of work things I need to do. But then other days I know that I am someone who can suddenly feel quite creative and I do like to, and that is like you say, the beauty of being self-employed in a way, knowing that you can also just have some time to 
creatively focus on a project and just run with that but I also think I think it's really important the point you raised about there's always stuff you can be doing because for me that's the reason why I find it really difficult to take things like a bank holiday Monday off because I'm thinking well I should be using this time in another way because like you said there's like and there's not a limit to what we could be doing no and I think as well because um the the milestones and the accomplishments are so transitory they're just they're they're so fleeting it's like oh you you did this project you worked really hard on it it's out in the world it's on the internet and then the next day it's like oh well what's the next thing (laughs) so it's it's really hard to just like take a breath and take stock and like sit in something that you've done before you feel the need to rush onto the next one now on the very small chance that anyone listening isn't familiar with your work please can you tell us a little bit about your story and also how you came to the body positivity movement of course so my story with my body is well it starts when I was about four years old and that's when I first felt like my body wasn't good enough and that it was different to the bodies of the people around me and I fell into dieting at a really young age just picked it up picked it up from diet culture from the examples being set around me and spiraled as I got older. And when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. And after a couple of years of really struggling with that, I pulled out the other side, went straight back into dieting. And after that found body positivity. So it's been kind of a a roller coaster of hating my body, being very, very immersed in diet culture and struggling with eating disorders. And when I was 21, I was just scrolling on Instagram, honestly looking for Fitspo because that's what I use social media for. And I found this little community of people talking about body positivity and not dieting and not hating their bodies. And um, I didn't believe them and I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I came back and, and eventually kind of worked my way round to the idea of giving it a chance because I tried everything else and I was still so unhappy with myself. So I figured, what have I got to lose? And it all went from there. And I started, I started using my Instagram to track what I was learning and track what I was unlearning in a kind of diary style. And as I read more and I posted more, I started gaining a bit of an audience because other people turns out wanted to hear about this stuff. And then I wrote a book about it. And then I just carried on and it, yeah. And and, then here we are. I'm really delighted that you brought up your book, um, Body Positive Power. And I'm really sad that it didn't enter my life sooner because it's just such an important book. It's so brilliant. And I just think everybody who has ever had any kind of disdain for the way their body looks needs to read this book I just think it's so so helpful and as someone as well who definitely struggled with disordered eating in their teens and then their 20s it's just so liberating to know that there are (laughs) so many people who have come out the other side and are doing just so well like thriving Could you explain to anyone who doesn't know what body positivity is, what it is, but also maybe crucially what it isn't? Of course. Can I start by saying thank you? That was a very sweet thing that you just said um, about my book and I appreciate that and I appreciate you. Uh, I kind of want to disclaimer this because I'm wary of like 
I like positing myself as the absolute truth bearer of of a, of a movement that is bigger than me, has always been bigger than me. Um, and I think, you know, depending on who you ask, you're going to get different definitions. You're going to get different opinions of what body positivity is. For me, body positivity is a movement that is based in believing all bodies are deserving of respect. And that means all shapes, sizes, skin colors, genders, abilities, ages, absolutely all bodies deserve to be treated with respect by society and 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 from within. And for me, there are kind of two distinct parts of body positivity. I would call body positivity almost the umbrella term. And within body positivity, you have conversations about body image and that's, you know, the individual side of things, how, how we each individually feel about our bodies. This is where you get the conversations on, you know, bikini confidence and, and feeling, feeling good. And then I think the other part of body positivity is body politics, where like, as it suggests, we get more political and we talk more about why certain bodies are marginalized in our culture and uh, what that what that means, what the impact of that is and how we change, structurally change how we see different body types and different legislation around, you know, body types um, and how certain body types are oppressed or restricted or just not seen as, as valuable. And I think these two parts really work together to form body positivity. But if you look at the mainstream media, you only really get the body image conversation. And if you look at, you know, there are certain other people who think the body politics is the only part that matters. And I see them as a kind of amalgamation. And that's where we get the whole, the whole thing. Thank you for putting that in such clear terms. And I loved your definition. It was just so simple and so straightforward. Um, and I'm also very grateful for you kind of adding your take and your insight and your, and the, new, the necessary nuance as well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm very intrigued to because obviously you've been in this space for quite a few years now and I'm I'm conscious that I'm very much coming at it from the periphery and I'm wondering what your kind of observations have been on how the body positivity movement has changed over the years. Yeah, there's a lot to say on that. I think it's always the case with when when a kind of niche movement goes mainstream and gets bigger and gets a ton of attention from the media things get a little bit twisted things get watered down or they get turned into like um clickbaity 
little sound bites rather than the whole story. And I think that's definitely happened. But overall, I do think most people come into body positivity just as um, a balm for their own wounds. We, we come in with our own personal experience that maybe we're still hurting or we've just never healed. And we bring that to the conversation. And so I think it makes complete sense to me that people enter body positivity from the personal and from, from the body image. And then over time, I think as a whole, as a movement, we have started to shift more towards having the more political conversations and, and really taking a look at who is still excluded. And, you know, this, this big blow up of body positivity, who has it benefited the most? Um, And, you know, generally I, I don't exclude myself from that. You know, I'm, I'm, someone who is mid to plus size, uh, light skin, black mixed race woman, able-bodied cisgender. And, you know, I've had huge success in this arena and through this topic. And, and there are people whose bodies are less, you know, societally acceptable than mine who have still been left out, whose voices are still not being heard. And although I think the awareness is, is growing, it's really, it's still really hard to get that to match up to what we're actually seeing, I guess, in in the mainstream. And I think that's how it's changed. Or maybe that's just how it's changed for me. It's hard to say. I think it's really interesting to look at it from the perspective of systemic and structural inequalities too, um, like you've rightly raised. How rife do you think fat phobia is in our society? And perhaps you could also explain why you think that is as well. Because I think perhaps some people listening won't realise how ingrained it is in the media we consume and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I think it's like, it's like saying how rife is oxygen. <laughs> it's just, wow. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, it's just everywhere, you know? And I, I, if I take the example of myself, it took me literally four years on the planet to believe that being fat was the worst thing that I could possibly be. Um, and, and taking all that negative messaging and it's so, it's so ubiquitous and it's so subtle and it can come from things as simple as, you know, when we're growing up, how many fat characters do we see on, on TV who aren't the butt of the joke or who aren't wearing fat suits or, you know, how many conversations do we overhear about dieting? How much, uh, misguided and incomplete information do we get from medical professionals um, who who still you know believe that size is the be all and end all of health when it's so much more complicated than that and we know it is. It's just it's just everywhere and I think um, you know humans humans have this really bad habit of needing to put people into hierarchies of like needing to value certain humans less and more. And we make up these reasons. Like we say, well, it's because this group uh, does this more, this group is less healthy. This group is, is just worse in some way. And that just carries on until it becomes just, just the way it is. And I think that's the thing about fat phobia. It's, it's just the way it is. And until someone points to it and says, hold on, but is this hurting people? And is this hurting you? You don't stop and think about it. And I think the thing with fat phobia is that it it hurts 
everyone. You know, it hurts people who are existing in larger bodies because they face huge amounts of of discrimination and harassment and 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 structural fat phobia. You know, fat people are less likely to be hired for jobs. They can less easily access public transport. There's huge obstacles because of the way that we view people in larger bodies. But anyone in a body of any size will have experienced fat phobia. A thin person can go their entire life hating themselves because they're so scared of gaining weight and of becoming a fat person and they can hold negative judgments towards fat people. And it's just this, it's just this thing that really seeps down like through all the layers and through all the cracks until it affects every one of us. And that's, um, yeah, that's, that's how rife it is. I think it's so, um, so helpful to think of it as something that isn't, it doesn't benefit anyone. Fat phobia doesn't benefit anyone. And I'm wondering if this, like so many things, comes back to the patriarchy and capitalism. Ugh, Panisha, I love you. You're just, you're just really, really on my wavelength. Uh, I think, again, this is, there are there are tons of different schools of thought as to you know the real real roots of of fat phobia um and there are there are racial elements to it and there are class elements i think for me realizing the link between um fat phobia diet culture and capitalism was like a big ding 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 like that makes sense moment and i had to learn about that for my own healing so Essentially, I, I believe the biggest reason why today we hate our bodies in such huge numbers and it's so normalized to hate our bodies is because uh, people realized that it was very, very profitable to teach us to hate our bodies. And this was probably started about 150 years ago where uh, marketers realized how much money could be made from selling primarily women weight loss products. Um, you could maybe even file beauty products under that as well, but anything that would change their bodies and supposedly make them happier. And I think this is, this is really obvious to anyone who's ever seen a weight loss ad where like a woman is like frolicking through a field and she's like so happy and laughing, or she's like eating a low fat yogurt and having an orgasm. It's the kind of link between what, what you eat, what you do to your body and how you look that is that de- that will determine your happiness level. That will be your fulfillment. This is the life you want. This is how you get it. And we are willing to spend so much money and time and energy on the pursuit of changing our bodies because we we really do believe that 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 all that's the solution and that's the answer. And you know, life is real messy. Life is incredibly complicated and happiness is incredibly complicated. And I think for a lot of us, it's it's really soothing to have this one answer to how to have it figured out. And I know that was the case for me. Like if I could just change my body and have it figured out, that's the, that's the answer. Um, and it's painful to realize that it's not. I think finding out how deeply rooted in capitalism it all is gave me something to be mad about. Um, you know, a good dose of rage towards capitalism is never a bad thing. And uh, just this idea that, wow, I spent so many years of my life hating myself, feeling like I was absolutely worthless because of how I looked. And it was all so that industries can make a profit off of me. And that's not cool. 
that that ain't cool. And um, yeah, that was a that was a game changer. I always think a health, healthy dose of anger at oppressive systems is definitely no bad thing, especially if it leads you on to something you know much more positive and beneficial for your health, your mental health. What other tools have you found quite useful at? like really, really sticking to this and advocating for it and campaigning for it? I think that it has been essential for me to almost develop a counter bubble. So like we were saying, like this diet culture fat phobia and and hating your body in general is just so the norm that to even start to unlearn that, you really have to have resources you have to have people you have to have like places on or offline to go that are going to be the counterculture to that and you know I started that just basically on social media and I changed everyone who I was following and and refollowed a bunch of different people who were on the same page and, and talking about these things and then I changed what I was reading I changed what I was watching I changed the conversations I was having with my friends and I guess it's um always having spaces to come back to where you know people are going to get it because the thing is like in real life you're never going to avoid diet culture completely and you know until we tear the whole thing down but you're always going to come up against it whether it's you know you spend a bit of time with your grandparents and you know my my nan said to me the other day she, she just likes to check in about what um clothing size I'm wearing and I was like uh 16 and she was like oh how long have you been a size 16 and I said uh since the last time we spoke like a month ago and um and and for like years before that and she was like well you know as long as you can still see your toes and I said yes nan thanks for the advice and I changed the subject uh so it's just (laughs) that goes to show like you can literally have like built an entire (laughs) career um off of this topic and you're still gonna come up against it so you have to have places to go back to just re-insulate yourself in in the opposite thing Mm, that's really interesting thank you for sharing that I am also interested to hear a little bit more about how you think things have changed in the media do you think we've made lots of headway into kind of tearing diet culture down because I saw recently that I think it was Unilever who are obviously a massive company have banned all photoshopping on their products uh, with their beauty with their beauty products and that Mm -hmm. feels like a really important big stride and that was like national news I saw that on like BBC breakfast or something I'm wondering if you could explain a little bit more about yeah how things might be progressing in the media and, and with big brands and corporations I do think moves have been made. I do think changes are happening and I do think the changes are are worth celebrating while also recognizing that there's there's still a way to go. Things like um you know we have we have tons more representation of diverse bodies to a point. Um we have we definitely have more size diversity and I think uh now we're starting to have a lot more racial diversity. Um, we're still severely lacking representation of disabled people and people who fall outside the gender binary um, and people on the upper end of having a larger body. But we're getting a bit, we're getting a bit of representation, which is great and which is worth celebrating. Um, I think for me, it's always really important to stay skeptical and to stay questioning and diet culture 
It's kind of a many-headed hydra. You can cut a head off, it will grow another one back. It will always adapt and, and change to the market and be really, really sneaky and things that you don't even you don't even think are diety. And then when you look a little bit closer, you're like, oh, it, I think when when people started getting more of awareness, more of an awareness of diet culture, diet culture morphed into the wellness space and took over a lot of like genuinely well-intentioned um, conversations and, and and industries and took that on as its new disguise. And it was, it became kind of harder to spot. And then, you know, social media came up and there was all new ways that diet culture was getting to us with, with the, the tummy tees and, and the waist trainers and things. It was always gonna, as long as people realize how much money can be made from us believing that our bodies are a problem it will always morph into something new and so while we're celebrating we gotta keep an eye out you know what I mean yeah yeah that's such a good point um as someone who really fell for wellness in a big way I talked about this actually in a previous podcast the series and it, it kind of makes me a bit sad looking back because I think I associated certain foods with like a, a moral standing and I spent money on things I shouldn't have spent money on. And, you know, obviously I feel sad looking back on that, but also, you know, reassured that I'm in a place now where I'm interrogating things a lot more. How do you think we can be more aware of trends that are actually in a way co-opting the body positivity space and the kind of headway that's been made there and make sure that we're yeah interrogating it and not falling for it and I'm not saying not enjoy things that bring us genuine pleasure but be more conscious that this is an industry like you say so yeah how can we kind of see through because it's murky water right Oh, it's a mess. And the thing is, like, I'm up in the mess. Like, I'm I'm trying my best, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm working with brands who are putting out body positive messaging. Um I'm trying I'm trying to be ethical and um it's it's there's so much grey area. There is so much grey area. And I think for me, I just really try and ask myself, is this potentially hurting a large group of people? Like uh, and I think a lot of that comes from my experience of having had eating disorders where I, I don't know if you relate to this, but you know, when you're, when you're in recovery from an eating disorder, your triggers are so varied and can be so intense and I just feel like they're everywhere. And so I think I've kind of brought that awareness into how critical I now am of, of, of anything in general of, of, is this hurting people? Or is this helping people? And um, and I try, yeah, I try and carry that now. But I don't think there is a hard and fast rule other than question things, question things, um, and be skeptical. But then also, I don't want us to get jaded and, <laughs> and just be like paranoid about every single thing. Is I don't know. Do you have an answer to that? No, but I did find your um, point about questioning asking yourself is this harming a large group of people very very helpful um speaking of triggers I have noticed a lot of 
posts on social media with the announcement of the kind of easing up of lockdown here in the UK and June 21st hailed as this like freshers week big moment you know big (laughs) night out and people are gonna sort of return from their caterpillar shells morph into butterflies and uh, potentially putting themselves on like quite strict regimes between now and then I saw the most hateful meme of an empty plate with ice on it talk about trigger warnings with a knife and fork being like my diet from now until June 21st which just made me feel like disappointed and a bit worried and what would your advice be to people who are seeing a lot of these posts and having a lot of these conversations about you know coming out of lockdown a new and improved version of themselves and have you seen a lot of this as well or is your you know is the media you consume now like so wonderfully varied that you don't come across this kind of thing anymore (laughs) Oh, well, I'm definitely in a social media bubble, so I don't see a lot of it on there. But my sister watches a lot of morning TV. So I, I hear the conversations that they are having uh, about about dieting and, and coming out of lockdown. I think um, I think I want to say first that it's a very understandable thing to latch onto this. Um, you know, we've all clung on and and done the best we can this year and you know having this idea of I'm going to transform myself and I'm going to emerge again that's that's a very simple answer right it's it's like yeah okay I can I can stick to that and and I'll be okay um and it's easy to fall into so I wouldn't want anyone to feel like they're they're the bad guy for for leaning that way or getting sucked into that I think for me there's, there's so much to say, but ultimately, yeah, okay, you might go to a party on June the 21st, but you've got to survive until then. You've got to be all right with yourself until then. Like you've got to go to sleep at night and and not hate yourself and and not be hungry and, and actually take care of yourself until then. I think we don't realize the, the potential long-term damage that we do to ourselves physically and mentally when we put ourselves through these incredibly punishing and restrictive regimes with this like ideal body at the end of it, where things are going to be fine and we'll be completely different people. Like, no, hun, you'll still be you. You'll just be really moody because you haven't eaten carbs for six months. Um, and you will have deserved to be there anyway. Like I'm coming out June 21st, like as I am, I'm going to shake my ass and celebrate myself in every way. And I don't, I don't need to transform myself into a different version to be worthy of that. Um, and neither does anyone else. I know that's easier said than done, but I think, yeah, you, you just, you deserve to treat yourself with more care and respect than any of these like regimes or, or memes are, are suggesting up until then. What would be your advice, um, asking for a friend to someone who, watches their friends have these conversations or make these suggestions or share this kind of information what would be your advice to someone who doesn't want to say anything because they'd rather a quiet life but knows that this stuff is really problematic Mm. it's tough it's tough because it definitely depends relationship to relationship I think sometimes we have friends who are totally open to having this discussion and you can, you know, pick something up that they've said and, and just gently 
gently question it and think, oh, how, how come you do think this way? And have you ever considered maybe there's a different way of looking at this? Some people are going to be open to that. Other people are just not. And I think all you can do in those situations is lead by example um, and and try yourself to embody a different way of seeing things and a different set of beliefs. And maybe they will see you and catch on. Um, and I think that's that's the more likely situation uh, for a lot of people. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with needing to distance yourself. Like lots of people, when they come into recovery or body positivity, fat acceptance, they're still part of groups who are like deep in the shit, who are deep in the diet culture and the fat phobia. And if it's going to be damaging you maybe need are going to need a bit of distance. And I don't think that's something that you should feel bad about either. But yeah, you got to pick and choose your battles, haven't you? Like, I'm never going to convince my nan to, to, to stop saying stuff like that to me. It's just not going to happen. I can just, you know, go and live my life and embody it and maybe she'll pick up a thing or two. Um, but with your friends, hopefully they'll be more open to at least having the discussion where it feels like you're learning together rather than you're like telling them off, you know? I love that. And it also kind of brings us full circle back to how you entered body positivity in the first place. It was through seeing people who um, you felt like you want a bit of that. Like, what have they got? I want a bit of that. So I love that. I feel like we've come full circle. Um, (laughs) I'd love to hear a little bit more about your favorite ways of looking after yourself of making sure that you are treating yourself with kindness, that you are able to come out on June 21st dancing and loving yourself. Like what are the small things that bring you joy and, and um, make you feel good and happy and grateful to be alive? Dogs. Yep. (laughs) All the dogs, all the dogs. Other Um, people's dogs, strangers' dogs. (laughs) I wish every human was a dog. Um, Dogs, nature, uh, dancing, singing, um, creating quiet and re- being really conscious of where I'm putting my energy. That's definitely what I've been working on this year. Uh, I I had some very bad habits and routines with social media in particular, but just pouring all of my energy into places that were not necessarily always filling me back up. And I had to take a look at that um, and consider whether I was actually practicing what I preach, um, whether I was treating myself like someone worth taking care of. And so I've just tried to reinvest my energy um, this, this year back into the places that do fill me up and and back into myself rather than pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring for everyone else and then ending up empty. Wow, that's really powerful. Something else that I know you've been spending time thinking about and researching over the past months and I guess year is your mixed racial identity. Would you mind telling us about this experience and, and how it's been for you? Yeah, of course. I think I'm still in it. Um, I'm still wading through, but this, this year, particularly, um, in June when the Black Lives Matter movement was, was at its peak, was very confronting for me personally for a lot of issues around identity that I had pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. So 
my my dad is black caribbean my mum is white i've grown up in a very 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 white and quite conservative place um for my entire life uh and i'm still there and I have definitely had a lot of complicated feelings around my identity stemming back as far as I can remember, like when I started uh, primary school and everyone in my class was white. I remember coming home and and tell and saying to my mom, I just I don't get it. Like, am I am I white or am I black? How do I what do I call myself? Um and I don't think I don't think uh, she or my dad had like a solid answer for me either. And this year in June, largely on social media, there was so much content and so much advice and so many directives for white people and for black people. You know, white people do this, 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 this. Um, black people, you're allowed to feel this, 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 this. And I found myself feeling just very right in the middle of feeling both, feeling responsible for both, feeling the pain on on one side and and the privilege on the other, and not knowing at all how to mesh that together. Um, and I went on this this real journey of of kind of digging into my heritage and and my family history, and talking to my family and talking to my friends who I'd grown up with, and you know I I knew I had experienced all of these um, racial microaggressions, but I just kind of pushed them down, especially because in my time on social media, I feel like people had up to a certain point just perceived me as white um, because you know I'm I'm fairly light, light skinned, I don't have textured hair. And I didn't talk a lot about my racial identity. It was almost like an assumption, which you know is a is a problem in itself. Um, so I had to kind of recount and recalibrate all my experiences within this within this moment and look back in my history and um, and I discovered some like in- incredible stuff. And you know, I come I come from one of the first Jamaican families who ever emigrated to the UK like in the early 1900s and I have these historical black figures in my history and here I was like not not knowing whether it was even okay for me to claim that side of my identity or call myself black or how do I do this online where do I sit in this conversation and it was so it is it is so nuanced and and messy um but I've definitely come to a bit more of an understanding of myself this year with a lot of help from from a lot of friends and and my partner Kenny who also is uh black mixed race and just seeing how he sees himself and how he sees the world and navigates this stuff um and I think all all I really know is that there is no (laughs) black or white answer like it's just there there is not there is not it's it's always going to be more complicated than that, but it's, I get to, I get to figure it out. I get to figure it out. No one else gets to tell me this is who you are. This is how you should identify. This is what you should or should not do, do or say or be. No one else actually has that power. That's mine. And and that has been very liberating. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I'm already like <laughs> picturing people in my head who I know that's going to be so helpful for. So thank you so so much how would you feel about a quick fire round okay let me brace myself and do my stretches quick fire with megan breakfast lunch or dinner 
Dinner. Water or squash? Squash. Toast or crumpets? Crumpets. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Cheese or wine? Cheese. Netflix or podcasts? Netflix. Dancing or dogs? Dogs. Dogs or humans? Dogs. <laughs> In the trees or by the sea? In the trees. Pink or purple? Purple. Lizzo or loungewear? Lizzo. Routine or spontaneity? Routine. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. That was the quickest quick fire round ever <laughs> with Megan. It's really trying to let go. I trust you. You know, you can hold this. Some final questions for you. Is there anything you have read, listened to or watched recently that you can't stop thinking about, loved or would recommend? Ooh, um, I feel like we've talked about this privately. I don't know if you will have then talked about this on other episodes, but probably the book that I have thought about the most since I read it is uh, Outraged, Why Everyone is Shouting and No One is Talking by Ashley Charles. Have you already talked about this? Shall I pick another one? No, 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 please talk about it. I'm trying (laughs) so down hard to get her on this podcast. You would not believe. I think I've sent like seven emails to her publicist this year. Oh, I hope I hope you can make that happen because yeah, this this book slapped me in the face over and over and over again. It's all about essentially how we're spending our energy online and what we get angry over and the amount of anger we put into things that maybe, you know, that energy could be better used or more effectively used in other places. And it was so funny. I was like cackling because no one says these things, right? No one talks about these things because if you talk about them, then you're, you, you know, people are going to get angry at you. And just to have a book that was so brazenly, um, just basically like calling us out in saying, Hey, you're calling things out too much. <laughs> um, was, was very refreshing and very hilarious. And I would recommend it to anyone who uses social media, but particularly people who have, who have a platform and who have a politically engaged platform. Yeah, it's it's fucking fantastic. I would love to know if there is one small thing that has happened to you over the past few days, weeks that has made you just stop and go, "Wow, life is really life is really great." I feel like I have a moment of that every day. Oh, I love I, that. I do. I do. I I I really do. I, you know, I try to practice gratitude um and and be in present moment as as much as I can. I have been really, really enjoying, you know, going for my walks. I live by the seaside and um, I walk nearly every day through the beach huts and they're so colorful. Like every beach hut is, there's rows and rows and they're all painted in these like pastel shades. I don't know this if this is where my aesthetic like came from in my life, but I walk past them and I said to Kenny the other day, it almost feels like every day I go and see my friends, the beach hut, the beach huts. And I'm like, oh, hello, pink beach hut. Hello, blue beach hut, purple, pastel, multicolored. Um, and yeah, I just <laughs> get a lot of joy from that. I love that. That's so great. I love it. <laughs> I think that is where your aesthetic clearly comes from. <laughs> no, I know. Seaside chic. So good. If you could advise listeners to do or try one small thing today to feel better about their bodies, what would it be? Hmm. I would probably say tap into a little bit of anger. Like the next time you come across some obviously bullshit advert or you know you watch another tv show or film where everyone is is thin and white and able-bodied or you know the next time the next time anything sparks in you the feeling that you're not good enough I would much rather you 
point the finger and place the anger where it actually should be and just try getting a little bit pissed off with with diet culture or capitalism or, or fat phobia exclusionary beauty standards give it a go um yeah you might you might find it's quite righteous and it leads some places great advice and finally i would love to know what is one thing that you would hope your future self will have achieved this is a small thing i would like to become the kind of person who uh sings in the kitchen <laughs> who's just like so carefree and just like soulful that i can just like sing in my kitchen and just you know like i'm i'm preaching like sunshine on a late afternoon washing over me and it's just very very harmonious and nice <laughs> That's lovely. That's very on brand for this podcast. So I'm very <laughs> grateful for that. Megan, thank you so much. This is We've gone through a lot and it's just been a pleasure and a joy to talk to you as always. Oh, I feel like I didn't... I want to ask you things. You know what? When I get my shit together and have a podcast, bitch, you better be on it. <laughs> it will be an honour. It will be a true <laughs> honour, honestly. Thank you so very much for listening to this episode. As always, make sure you check out the show notes for links to my guests and their work. Next week, I'm going to be chatting to the world's best teacher, Andrea Zafiraku. I am so excited for you to listen to that conversation. So do make sure you're subscribed. If you would like to support the show, please leave it a five-star review. That really helps get the word of the podcast out there. And you can also share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia Lamana and at ATST Podcast and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 